Welcome to Health Virtually Uncensored with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series brought to you by the American Telemedicine Association, the only organization completely focused on advancing telehealth. Join Dr. Kavidar in candid conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators, offering real-world perspectives and practical knowledge to impact change in our current healthcare environment. This episode is made possible by Microsoft Corporation. Today's guest is Jane Sarasan Khan, health economist, healthcare consultant, and trend weaver. Hello, I'm Joe Kavidar, immediate past chair of ATA, and I'm pleased to be the host of the ATA's podcast series, Health Virtually Uncensored. I'm looking forward to welcoming guests, experts, luminaries, and friends to talk about topics relating to the digital transformation of health. The changes we've seen over the last few years are immensely exciting, but there is still much to do, much to learn, and I think there's quite a bit of confusion still out in the marketplace. So our goal for this series is, and the uncensored conversations that come along with it, is really to ultimately help move the industry forward as ATA tries to do with all of its efforts. We want the information for you, our listeners, to help you think through this morass that we're in right now of moving healthcare from traditional settings to virtual, what percentages need to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and help advance it within your organization. So the topic of today's podcast, Omnichannel Care, is perfect to start that whole scenario off. It illustrates the seismic changes we've been seeing in the industry today. Here's an example. Recently, a friend of mine told me that she sees her therapist through a virtual program offered by her employer, engages with a nutritionist through an app, sees her specialist at the hospital, and goes to her local pharmacy regularly to check her blood pressure. This is not uncommon. Omnichannel care, the idea of multiple touch points across the care spectrum in different settings and modalities is having a moment. Healthcare is everywhere, in the home, in the grocery store, at the workplace, on the body, through wearables, in person, asynchronous and virtual. This movement, driven by consumer expectation and demand and business opportunity is of course not a new idea, but it has its roots in other industries that have significant experience in digital transformation before healthcare did. And I like to look at those other industries often for clues as to where we need to go in healthcare. During the pandemic surge when telehealth was how the vast majority of patients received care, and with the large non-traditional healthcare players making significant investments in acquisition, I think it's time has finally come. But it raises so many questions related to consumerism and choice, access, patient-provider relationship, coordination and quality of care, and the business of health. We could talk about it for hours, and maybe we will eventually. Uh, while we can't cover it all in this first episode, I bet my discussion today with my guest will lead to a number of follow-on topics for future podcast episodes. So I couldn't be happier 
And I couldn't have asked for a better first guest to our series than my longtime friend and esteemed colleague, Jane Saracen Khan. Jane is a health economist by training, but she's a healthcare consultant. She's an advisor to organizations at the intersection of technology, health, and people. She writes the very popular Health Populi blog, is a sought after speaker and consultant, and has offered several books, including Health Consuming, From Health Consumers to Health Citizen. And her follow-up book, Health Citizenship, observed how health consumers were changed by the pandemic and what we learned about people and public health. Jane is thoughtful, insightful, and a champion of digital health, and just a regularly great human being. So Jane, I can't thank you enough for joining us all the way from your home in Brussels. Thanks for being here. Jill Kvidar, thank you so much. That was a very generous introduction, and I'm so delighted to do this with you. Well, let's get right into it, because I know we have a lot to cover, and uh, people's attention spans are short. So I want to start with a basic question. Uh, and it's what do you think consumers really want when it comes to telehealth and omni-channel care? Let me pick it apart a little bit. Uh, a recent JD Power survey suggests that telehealth is preferred channel for some routine delivery and that the vast majority of respondents said they would use it again. I don't think that's news particularly. We, we, we've seen that sort of response to telehealth since I've been involved almost three decades now. But there are over 300,000 mobile apps, of course. So a lot of different channels, and we're talking about omni-channel today. Uh, is it just about choice? What 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 is the uh, what do consumers really want here? So even before the pandemic, 2019, we entered that public health emergency. You know the coronavirus coronavirus crisis with patients already. Uh, taking on the role of as payers for healthcare, high deductible health plans, out of pockets. People had more financial skin in the game at that point. In the pandemic, then uh, things really accelerated in terms of self-care, care at home, medical distancing. And at the same time, people were still paying uh, for healthcare. They were still under high deductibles if they were covered through um, employers. But with greater skin in the game um, and financial risk, that really compelled people to say, hey, I'm a health consumer now. I'm paying for this more visibly than I was before. If I'm spending as a consumer, people would ask, shouldn't my experience in healthcare look and feel like um, my everyday spending touch points, uh, retail, making, travel, entertainment? So yes, it's a choice, that was your initial question, but it's based on my sense of value, right? Value for money and values. What do I value as a human through my cultural preferences, my demographic, my psychographics, and increasingly as we look to younger people wanting to engage on sustainability, green environment, climate, and just values, um, think of uh, Tom's, Warby Parker, any number of things. Uh, the Bombasak phenomenon, right? Buy one, give one. Um, more and more healthcare is starting to look like that. So choice based on value and values. 
really interesting comments and and uh yeah i i don't i i i hear you and and i know i know of that i, I also think that when for instance i'm in the office there's a it's a different dynamic i think when and I'd like to, I mean, get the real view from the patients, what, what they say to me may, may be filtered. Uh, but it seems like they're, if I, if my touch point with them is in person, that they're kind of glued to that idea. I offer follow-up by telehealth a lot and I, you don't always take it. Whereas if my touch point with them is virtual to begin with, they're much more comfortable in that space. I don't really know what that means, but it's just a, an observation. Do you think that trust is an important factor in this whole thing? Trust is absolutely a factor. And it was way long time ago when I did research with uh, Edelman on the health engagement barometer, which is was a relative of the Edelman, famous Edelman trust barometer. But back in 2008, when we were in the previous recession, the Great Recession, yeah. um, Edelman and we asked consumers in 12 countries, but this is the US data, what precursors have to be in place for you to engage with someone for your health? And we were already looking at tech companies at that point, Amazon for, for, for prescription drugs, et cetera. So people said three things have to be in place for me to engage in health with them. Trust, authenticity, and satisfaction. And I don't think that's changed for today. Trust, authenticity, satisfaction. So trust goes way back. Um, and, uh, you know, we can look at different population groups regarding that, et cetera. But absolutely, trust is key. Um, you know, five, seven years ago, tech, big tech was really trusted. There was early research from PwC looking at uh, equal numbers of patients trusting big tech, retail, and um, healthcare. And when I used that data to state hospital associations, where I was doing a lot of speaking at the time, they, they couldn't believe people would trust big tech and retail at that point. Well, now we're seeing tech, te trust in tech eroding a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, interesting. I mean, right now, Twitter, uh, et cetera. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's changing now. Trust, I think tech needs to work with trusted uh, partners in health. Those are physicians, nurses, and pharmacists, the most trusted touch points in healthcare. Gallup survey tells us year after year. So trust absolutely is a currency for health engagement that we cannot assume away. It's real. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly my experience as well. Again, I, I spend perhaps disproportionate time with patients trying to establish. Interestingly enough, I think the authenticity and the trust are highly related. Uh, that's that's my view, but very interesting comments and you're right. And then patient satisfaction comes out of that. If we look at the, yeah. the HCAPS or uh, Prescani or any number of surveys. Right. Yeah, we're, these days we're doing um, uh, net promoter scores. We're very hip, um, but anyway. Um, so, so I think following that vein, I want to uh, offer you a, a quote from, from Jane Saracen Khan. Uh, consumers are seeking more enchanting service levels for the healthcare. So you know me, we know each other well. I love that. Uh, and I, I try to deliver it and I try to promote the various uh, uh, businesses and folks and innovations that do that. I also am living in a world when I do my uh, clinical practice, where we have this daunting environment of, of staffing shortages, 
clinician burnout, hospital finances going in the wrong direction. Is there a way to, to, to maybe make it enchanting with that sort of backdrop? What's your thought about that? Oh, so important, Joe. This is on my mind a lot. So I want to be hopeful and designful when I think about this. And I think about people like Dr. Adrian, Adrian Boisie, who mm -hmm. really thinks about empathy and design and patient experiences. So yeah, we've got people on the case here um, and in the flow. I think we need to enlarge our thinking of the triple aim, which was of course enhanced in case people don't uh, know what I'm talking about or can't remember the three-legged stool. It's enhance the experience in healthcare, drive population health outcomes, and lower per capita or per patient, per person costs, looking at individual patients. So uh, move the needle on costs, enhance the experience, and drive outcomes. Now we have to think about two more legs of the stool. The quadruple aim added in what you are addressing right now, which is um, we must bolster um, our clinicians' well-being. We must keep that front and center now. Uh, the pandemic only accelerated physician depression and anxiety. It was already there before the WebMD, sorry, no, the Medscape on the physician side survey has told us year after year. The fifth leg of the stool for the quintuple aim is dealing with the social determinants or the drivers of health. Again, the, that came out in, in living color, tragic color, in the pandemic. That fourth leg of the stool um, in the quintuple aim, clini cl clinician will being key. Now, how do we deal with this? I think technology can be a friend when we change the workflow and we adopt value-based payments. So there are a lot of, of precursors mm -hmm. to making this happen, but the yeah. technology can be a friend if we don't make the mistake we did in EHR adoption many years ago, which was not change workflows, but just add more administrative hassle to the situation. But we know better now how to design technology with user-centered approaches dealing with clinicians directly to co-design or patients to co-design, bringing them into the process. So I'm hopeful wearing designful hats, design thinking, Bon Q in, um, in healthcare certainly has written a lot about this. Johan Sonnen uh, up in your neck of the woods in, yeah. in Massachusetts. He's a great friend and a teacher to me of, of, of uh, user-centered design. Um, and so I think we have to, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time, attend to wellness of clinicians and deploy these in exciting new technologies, including virtual care across the omni-channel. Wow. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. That's, that's so insightful. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about care coordination. Um, again, we're talking today about omni-channel. That means I, as a consumer, have multiple places to get my care. I cited the story earlier of the woman who had the virtual therapist and the uh, app for nutrition. Uh, you and I both know that those things today aren't really connected from a technical perspective, that they're, they live in different databases that don't talk to one another. There's very little, uh, I think, effort in the industry. And, and we, if we had more time, we could digress on why. But anyway, 
I think the, the idea of, of uh, fragmented care is a real challenge here. And I wonder what some of your thoughts about how we could fix that or, or uh, what you think about it. Well, when you were discussing, describing your friend earlier, that the female, I'm female, she sounded a lot like me. And I have a doubly complicated situation because I have two passports, one in Europe and one in the US, and I split my time between the two countries. So I have providers here in Brussels that I go to. I also am wearing wearable tech, which you know I've done for years and test a lot of things out. So yeah, I've, I've been the shoemaker's child with no shoes on this for a long time, you know, early Fitbit adapter, for example. Yeah. Having said that, um, the fact is, and you're right, electronic. If, if we had electronic health records that were more open and more well-designed, I, I use the word design a lot now because it's so on my mind. And in lots of meetings now, people are getting real about that. Lots of, of assignments that I'm working on. Um, so if, Every health citizen, you know, we used to talk about a chicken in every pot uh, in the old days. Now, if we had an EHR in every health citizen's pot, wouldn't that be nice? But this is what we're going to have to get to. We're going to have to have a way for all of our data from our bodies to our labs, to our pharmacies, to yes, the, the legacy health system, our Dr. Kavidar and our hospitals, um, and then our retail health uh, interactions in urgent care, retail clinics, at the grocery store, if we can design using APIs and all this great standard-based open uh, opportunity we have, um, we can defragment in terms of tracking people, having more continuous care, more informed care. And that's where we can feed the AI uh, machines that are hungry for data, um, all of our data or most of the data that's necessary to give a 360 degree view on us and only alert Dr. Kavidar when something's out of whack. Because you don't want to see my activity data or how much uh, alcohol I'm drinking on a Saturday night, which is, by the way, much less post-pandemic, uh, even though I'm drinking the good stuff like you do. So, <laughs> I hope so. So there we go. We'll, have, we'll have to have crawl. another uh, episode on, on, exactly. uh, on yeah. your, your European I want to be, I uh, be on like that yeah. call. Yeah. yeah. But in any case, I mean, it's about the information. And um I think there's a responsibility. Let me just end with on, on this one because this is a very deep question and, and a complex one. Um, I wrote about a Merck manuals study that just came out last week. So we're recording this uh, uh, in early December. So in late November, Merck manuals, who, which lots of families have had uh, the paper, the paper version of it in the 60s, 70s, 80s. They did a study on misinformation in healthcare online and how it's very normal now for most people to go see their doctor with um, an inf a quote informed self-diagnosis. Self -diagnosis. Well, there's a lot of misinformation, particularly in the COVID era, of course, that we, what we read a lot, we know a lot about. There's a responsibility for both physicians and patients to come together on this, to talk, to share, and to, um, re-inform the misinformation to turn that around. So I, I do believe in rights and responsibilities when I talk about health citizenship. 
people can't just have free health care, and I believe there should be universal health care access, but people have to behave responsibly as well with information, acting in public health for our sister and brother health citizens um, to do things like get vaccinated um, mm -hmm. and share good information and debunk the bad information in real time, the wisdom of crowds, which yeah. I was very hopeful about early on in the era of the internet, that good information would um, overplay the bad. Um, we know that isn't the case now That's all so the time yeah. with social media. So um, we have to be vigilant as consumers uh, of the health information patients and expect the same that our clinicians will meet us uh, there and we partner together, patients and, um, phys and physicians and nurses alike. Yes. So I'm going to wrap up now. You, you've been working in health tech for pretty much as long as I have. I, I don't know, maybe longer. Uh, <laughs> we met each other in the early days. I can say that. Uh, and you know, ATA is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Um, I also know you recently wrote about your first personal experience with telehealth, which was in 1996. So as you look back, uh, over the last 30 years, what, what are your thoughts uh, about uh, where we are and uh, where have we missed and, and where have we succeeded? And, and if you have a glimpse of the future, we'd love to hear that too. Oh, that's such a big question. I was talking with my husband about this before you asked this question the other day, going back in time. And I, I was recalling when I first started noticing you, Dr. Kavidar. I still call you Dr. Kavidar because I, I still look up to your experience and pioneering efforts here. When you were um, working with a truck driver who was on the road with a blood pressure device and calling in his blood pressure from motels across America. Yeah. Do you remember this? I do, yeah. I wrote about you in a, in a paper for California Healthcare Foundation. It was over 20 years, it was maybe 20 years ago. In any case, um, you know, we look back then and think dial up on the phone, you know, kilo, kilobits per second. And then fast forward, and I think back to you know the forecasting life I had for 10 years with the Institute for the Future. So we tend to overestimate the short run in terms of impact of new technologies in the S-curve, right? And then underestimate in the long-term. And the pandemic really pivoted us to the now, to what ATA was, your organization five years ago, was so different than what ATA is today. So we think of the 25 years of ATA before uh, yeah. COVID and now. And I, that's what gives me so much hope because you know your organization has expanded the, the types of members you have to reflect what's really going on. The omni-channel view that I have, the, um, the expansion of the ecosystem, which is in people's homes, closer to people's homes, accessible, culturally appropriate and trusted. And so I, I'm so hopeful that going forward, we'll get really cool, um, informed, engaging care at our grocery store, however we consume, whatever grocery store we choose to go to based on our values and sense of value. Um, the dollar stores, little d, little s's, including the big d, big s dollar store, they're 
in, in enlarging their healthcare footprint, particularly in rural areas, which is really important, the way Walmart has done. So we look to these new models, these new sites, and as long as we can get the IT infrastructure there, these EHRs, however these evolve in an open way, I'm really hopeful. And I know we're closer now than we were even five years ago. You know, gotta say bless the pandemic for all the pain it was. It's gotten us to understand the possibility for among older people and young people who didn't really think about health so I'm really encouraged by, you know, what we can do and we have to all do it together. Mm. Well, that's a great place to leave it, Jane. I'm delighted uh, for you to have been with us. I'm delighted to be on this telehealth journey with, with people like you. Uh, it's been a pleasure, an honor, always a pleasure to have you and to have you as our first guest, uh, inaugural guest for this podcast on health virtually uncensored. And on behalf of ATA, I thank you. Let's get some info from you. I'm sure people will want to learn more. So is the best uh, place on the internet to find you the healthpopuli.com uh, site? It absolutely is. Everything about me is there. <laughs> the blog, other links, uh, my tweets ongoing. And how to um, purchase your books. How, how to get my books, all, all of it, and especially my origin story and what I learned from my parents, which is why I do what I do. So it's all there, healthpopuli.com. Terrific. And, and if they want to follow you on social media, it's at Healthy Thinker? At Healthy Thinker on Twitter. And then my LinkedIn is rich every day too. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you, Jane, uh, very much. Uh, you, in our discussion, you've given us so much to think about as we build a hybrid or omni-channel. And, I, and I, by the way, I love that term, uh, mode of care delivery. To accomplish this, we really have to create a new culture uh, and create the changes necessary to enable telehealth and virtual care services to become integrated into our system. It will take new business models, staffing, workflows, as you said, training, reimbursement, Lots of stuff that needs to be done. Policy, of course, plays a role. Uh, and new clinical opportunities in primary care, specialty care, pharmacy, and hospital at home. And of course, something else that's near and dear to my heart, more research. Uh, okay, folks, ATA is hosting its annual conference and expo March 4th through 6th in San Antonio. Definitely worth the trip. You can learn more about that at gotelehealth.org. You can follow ATA at American Telemed on uh, Twitter, Instagram. We're on LinkedIn as well. And on Facebook, you can find us uh, on those platforms as well. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to chatting with you in the future on next uh, our next episodes. Thanks for listening to Health Virtually Uncensored with Dr. Joe Kavidar. To engage with others and learn more about topics like this, make plans to attend the ATA's 27th ATA 2023 Annual Conference and Expo in San Antonio, March 4th through the 6th. Visit gotelehealth.org for more information and to register to attend.